Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? <coughs> mm. Merlin, man. Mm, I've got a phone call with John Roderick. <laughs> <laughs> Merlin, when was the last time you had a chili dog? <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Was it recently? Do, do, double, do double chili dogs count? I think so. Uh, answer? Just now, uh, my hot dog place uh, has introduced a new product called the Double Chili Cheese Dog. Ooh. And it's two big old dogs on a yeah. bun yeah. with one chili bun. and cheese. One bun, two dogs. One bun, two dogs, just like a video. <laughs> that was my favorite one of those 80s ski movies. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you're going to ski the Tesseract? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just had a great ma- bachelor meal. Ooh. You know, I'm very busy right now. Mm. These are busy times. You're very busy. I can't believe you found time for this. You 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 were on TV in a Goodwill a few minutes ago. I was on TV. I was on TV literally one hour ago, and uh, I'm just stopping by, stopping by the uh, Roderick on the Line studios <laughs> to try and try and uh, talk to you for a little while. Because I sat down with John Roderick, who <laughs> found a minute to, and and so here you are. And then tonight you're doing more media. Uh, there's just it's a, it's just a media it's just a storm of media and uh, as you know there was an election in Seattle um, recently yeah I heard we should talk about that is that okay but but I got home I got home and I was like I need some food I am still not eating carbohydrates and it's very difficult to continue to get food in your body so hard so I got home and I was like what do I have and I go into the refrigerator and I'm like I roasted or no I I pan fried a couple of chicken breasts in olive oil the other day. And I had those, and I was like, "Right, but I need, but there's, I can't just eat two chicken breasts. That's just a little bit too fern bar. You know what I mean? <laughs> two, two chi- olive oil chicken breasts, two fern bar. So I was like, "What else do I have? Well, because I have a daughter, I have string cheese. Hmm. So I took some string cheese out and I stringed it. You know, you pull it apart and make strings, and I covered the chicken breasts with string cheese." And I was like, but it needs something else. And then I saw that I have some roast beef. So I covered the string cheese with roast beef. Mm. And I microwaved it. And I tell you, it is the greatest food I've had in weeks. My mind is spinning. It's see, now the thing is your brain. I'd be thinking noodles, noodles, noodles. I can't have noodles. What am I going to do? You took it in another direction. You've invented an entire new kind of uh, cordon bleu. It's basically a cordon bleu, except with with children's <laughs> string cheese and sandwich uh, meat, roast oh, beef sandwich. Gosh! And the whole thing. So I ate it with a knife and fork, and every bite I was like, it, "Can the next bite be better than the last?" And every bite was better than the last. You know, it'd be good a little bit of hot mustard on that. Oh, now that you say it, I should. I have some hot mustard. I bought some of that great German hot or mustard. some uh, or some horseradish. Have you been back to your? Uh, to your I don't want to derail you. Have you been back to your uh, your German uh, Landjäger shoppy? No, because I'm so busy that I, <sighs> I'm afraid to stock up on anything. But no, here's what I did. There's a butcher in in Seattle's Columbia City neighborhood, which actually point of order. My family lore. My my great great uncle Junius. <laughs> The racist, <laughs> the racist lawyer. I think his brother, another great uncle of mine, not my great grandfather George Alfred Caldwell Rochester, but their third brother, all of whom 
escaped from Tennessee after the Civil War to make their way out west. <laughs> the third brother was somehow responsible for the platting and selling of Columbia City. In my family, he is regarded as the founder of Columbia City. Now, and, and you know, within my family, that you have to take that somewhat with a grain of salt. But it's been said so much that I believe every time I drive through Columbia City, I'm like, well, this basically belongs to me. This whole part of town. But there's a butcher there named Bob the Butcher. And he's a, like one of these last remaining storefront butcher shops. And his Bob just recently died, but his son, who looks exactly like Jeffrey Dahmer, <laughs> uh, used to, you know, give me like butcher, butcher treatment. The butcher butcher a business where he'd wrap, I'd pick a piece of meat out and he'd wrap it in white paper. And it was, it felt very much like how I wish the world still was. Mm-hmm. I went in there the other day and there is a little Korean gal and then her mom, a littler Korean gal. And they both were giving me the hard sell on, on my butcher experience. They're like, you know, what do you want? Let's go. Let's get it moving. You want that? We can do that. How oh, much, that, you want, that oriental efficiency we we're familiar want, with. Do you want two of those? You want four of those, right? And I was like, uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> see, see, now we're, we're starting to get over here. And I, you got these porterhouse over there. And they're like, listen, what you want is you want one of these bulk rates. And they handed me a piece of paper. And it was like, for $167, you can get five pounds of bacon, five pounds of sausage, five pounds of chicken, two whole free-range chickens a rump roast, four porterhouse steaks, and 10 pounds of hamburger or something like that. And I was like, yes, I do want that. That, that is the way a man wants to shop. You g- <laughs> give me a piece of paper with a lot of meat on it, and then I give you some money. Yeah. Oh, and, t- and three pork roasts and a, and a half a dozen pork steaks. And I was like, well, I want that, but I don't want this. And the, and the woman was like, that's fine. We can do that. We do it all by weight. And so all, then all of a sudden it gets into... It turns into this crazy transaction where they're like, all right, well, you're taking two pounds off of that, and we're going to give you two pounds more of this. And they're writing it all down and putting it on the scale, and I kind of feel like she's putting her thumb on the scale. And the daughter's weighing something over across the room that I can't see, and I'm trying to, like, run over there and see that. And then I come back, and and the mom has already wrapped up four porterhouse steaks that I kind of, like, was like, wait a minute, I didn't No, 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 that's, that, that's, that's big city butchering. You don't want that. It was super big city butchering. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. And it's all in bags. And it's like, $167, please. And I didn't want to have a... It was a, another one of these, like, difficult cultural exchanges where it's like, do I go back and have them unwrap all this stuff and weigh it all in front of me? No, I don't. I accept that this is the way this this transaction ran. I'll know better next time. And I walked out of there with two bags of meat that were that each bag required both women to lift it over the counter. <laughs> so I, I'm walking down the street with two basically meat anvils. <laughs> And people are getting out of my way on the street because they they just they like instinctively sense here comes a lion with a wildebeest in his mouth. Like I had so much meat on me. Anyway, I've been eating through this meat, and uh, frankly, it was worth one hundred sixty-seven dollars, even if she was putting her thumb on the scale. Have you have you thought about seeking redress with Bob Junior? 
Well, that's the thing. Bob, I can only assume either Bob Jr. has sold a portion or the entirety of his business to these women, or perhaps Bob Jr. is married to one of them. Mm. And the business is, and, and they were like, listen, Bob Jr., we got this. We got, we'll, we'll take care of the business from here on out. And he's just sitting in the back uh, chopping up teenage boys. or I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a long time. I know his dad died. Uh, but, you know, the meat is all uh, from local farms, but but the butcher shop does not advertise itself in any kind of hippie, dippy way. There's no, no, there's no sign out front that says locally sourced artisanal anything. It's just like, yes, we get our meat from the following farms that are around the town, but, the, but we're not precious about it. And the meat is actually much cheaper than it is even in the grocery store. I'm, I'm not usually the type that wants my hand held uh, in situations like that. If it's something, you know, really straightforward, you know, if I go in and I say I want two pounds of roast beef, I don't want to have a conversation about it. But I think in that case, they're leaving behind a little bit of the high touch service that would make you seek out a Bob Jr. Yes. And that's what Bob Jr. used to sit and talk to me about every cut of meat. Is this is this the guy who used to talk to you about grass fed things? Uh, no, the, the, Bob Jr. was a little bit, I have to say, a little bit on the spectrum. Mm. So he could talk about That's a good meat. job. That's a good job for it's us. It's a good, a good job spectrum job. Yeah. Uh, he he could talk to me about the meat, but he wasn't like a scintillating, uh, like wide-ranging conversationalist. But, but that, uh, And I realized something the other day. A lot of my problem in the world, and I feel like this is true of you too, mm. is that I do not like salesmen. And it doesn't matter what they're selling. I, I, I so don't like salesmen that I feel like in the course of my life, I have made bad decisions or, or I have thwarted myself repeatedly because the person on the other side of the table was trying to sell it to me. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this place. I threw a garbage can through the window and I burned it down and I ran, you know, like, like he Roderick, I Rodericked it. <laughs> Instead of instead of endure five minutes of some guy selling me something in that voice and in that tone, and it, it's why I don't like it's why I don't like pastors, it's why I don't like mortgage brokers or car salesmen. Well, it, it feels it feels whenever I totally agree, and I think that I do share that with you. But it's partly I, I always feel like I'm I'm a mark. You know, I, they may see me as a lead, but I feel like a mark. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole thing of as, as long as the salesman is uh, still talking, he's still closing. You know, right. as as long as the as long, as long as I'm still there yelling at the guy at the door, like there's still a transaction that could potentially happen. Yeah, and and I guess it is that they are they are never ever ever interested in me in any way other than that I am a, a human shaped cutout with a bullseye on his face. You know, like. <laughs> There's whatever feigned interest they are displaying. Like I, I went to my dentist the other day. Oh. And she, she has a new dental hygienist. I haven't gone to the dentist in two years because my dentist drives me insane with that stuff. Well, and, and, and my dentist I like very much, but she has a new hygienist who's like a young gal who was talking about like when I graduated from high school in 98 and I was like, stop right there. Mm. But she was giving me that whole business of like, so where are you from? So what do you, and I was like, lady, seriously, don't like be friendly, but we're not trying to learn about each other. Like, don't, 
pretend that you are trying to learn about me for anything other than some kind of mental Rolodex of like, how's your daughter type of comments that you're going to sprinkle through the, the years. Like, just let it ride. You know, you know. Just chill, baby, chill. Well, and with with my dentist, he's he's very charismatic, very handsome. Uh, but he and his whole staff. And by the way, his mom is his hygienist. Uh oh, she's super. She's the one who always gives me the printouts about how I can get heart disease if I don't floss enough. She keeps giving me the same Xerox about how I'm going to get. I'm, I'm going it, to. It's, it's it's. I guess it's a real thing. But apparently, if you don't floss enough, you get heart disease. Because the plaque goes through your gums into your heart. Because science. Yeah. And but but the problem with this guy is I always feel like he's you know what it is I do feel like he's selling me something. Like he's selling me a deep clean that's coming. He's selling mm. me some kind of, you know, like any of those folks, trust your mechanic, right? Back to the dead Kennedys. Like he's looking for some inroad about my own uh fears or sensitivities to find some way to sell a dental product. Right. And and what it comes down to for me is like I feel like this is and this is me. Maybe I maybe I want a bad doctor. But I want a bad doctor. I want to go to somebody who's like, yeah, you got fucking emphysema. We gotta fight that shit. <laughs> you mean bad doctor like bad lieutenant. <laughs> kind of like take me out if he has to. But the no, but I mean I want somebody who's like on the, on I want somebody card. who's like a lawyer. Like I want somebody who's on my side. I want somebody who's like fighting fighting the uh the health problem with me rather than being like the mediator with the health problem. Like, well, I've been talking to your heart disease and we're pretty sure it's because you need a deep clean. It probably makes you feel pretty bad. You got a kid, you really don't want to die. And I just you know what I mean? I don't I feel like when I go in there, I want somebody who's gonna I want somebody to clean my teeth. You know, not show me endless slides of the furniture that he has made. God bless him. But I just, I always feel like I'm being sold and that puts me on the defensive. And now I'm that guy. Yeah. I feel like the only sales pitch that I respond to is I don't give a fuck whether you buy this or not. It's the, like, I'm selling it because I believe in it or because I made it. And if you don't want it, then you're a, then you're a dumbass, but it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, but if that's something where like you're in there as a motivated buyer, if you go in there and say, "I wanna, I wanna get this certain what's the big uh, international harvester? <laughs> what's the big uh, transporter? <laughs> what's the name of the big uh, car you want?" The uh, uh, what, suburban. suburban? Yeah. Like <clears throat> if you go to if you go to Bob's Bob Suburban, mm. and uh, and and Bob, you know Bob Senior, Bob Sur- Suburban Senior is there. You mm. go in there and he can help you make a decision about like what fits your budget and your needs. That's the kind of salesman I could use. What I don't need in there is somebody going, you know, you really are a dickless wonder. You should get a sub- Suburban. Right. Or all those guys on Craigslist who are like, or I, 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 I think I told you, right? <laughs> I, I text went, more pictures. <laughs> I went and looked at a Suburban and I wrote the guy and I said, yeah, Suburban's got a lot more rust than you said it, it, it had. Like I, I asked you to send me some pictures and you sent me some pictures of the parts that weren't rusty. But then I went and looked at it and it's got all this rust on it. And he writes back and he says, well, that rust is typical for a 73. I was like, really? Like well, my li- my lying should have been anticipated? <laughs> yeah, thank you for the education about what is typical and what is not. But in fact, like like if you if if you if the thing is honest, it sells itself. Right. And if it's like I went and looked at a Cadillac the other day. This is another one. I'm going to, I'm going out looking at a lot like of cars. An, like an old like giant Cadillac. It was a 65 Cadillac. It was a massive Cadillac. And he had taken these cool pictures about it of it and i was like is there any rust and he's like none at all and i said is uh, how big is the motor and he was like it's a 500 and i was like this cadillac seems like my kind of cadillac and i went to look at it and as i drive up i'm like what the 
And I said, is the, has the suspension been modified? And he was like, oh, yeah. The guy before me, like, lowered it, but he only lowered it in the front end because he couldn't figure out how to take the suspension out of the back end. And I was like, uh-huh. So the front bumper is dragging on the ground because some kid tried to put it on airbags but didn't know what he was doing. And that is a thing that you, now that I look at the photographs you took, you took these photographs with the, with the I did like a Peter Jackson angle. <laughs> yeah, with the sure knowledge that that was not being revealed. You said nothing about it in the ad. We talked about it. You in, you included the line, please don't waste my time <sighs> in your ad. And now I'm out here and I'm looking at a car that is uh, basically a Halloween pumpkin. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I have learned not to look at a guy like that and say like, by the way, fuck you, because I don't. I cannot afford to walk around thinking that my time is worth money because if I did think that I would be, I would be just so depressed. It's easy to think if I thought my time was worth money. So I'm just like, you know what this was? This was a nice drive in the country out to your suburban house to look at this thing for one and a half seconds and know that what it needs is to be put back together. And I'm not going to stand here and argue. I mean, you know, he was like $7,000 firm and I'm like, yeah, firm like the suspension probably is because it's sitting on the axle. <laughs> anyway, go go fuck yourself. But, you know, like go fuck yourself is implied in those situations. Yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's what hardens me as a person, though, and not in a good way, is it, it makes me continually feel like I have to protect against, like, I want to be somebody who trusts people because that's my nature. Mm-hmm. But then you have enough experiences like that. Or somebody who who uh, who doesn't tell you about the black mold in the basement of the house that you're buying or whatever, you know, it's like it's just you just keep you almost have to approach each of those situations assuming that there's a body in the trunk, like there's something you're going to have to figure out about this that they're just not going to tell you, and so you, you know you go up to them and you could just say like, what's really what's really fucked up about this that you're not telling me. You know, yeah. Yeah, right. it would be so nice to have that conversation with somebody and go, well, you know, actually that odometer might not be right. I'm not sure. Right. Give me the five word answer of the thing you are most afraid that I'm going to find out about this product. That's really good. You could go into it and say to somebody, I'm going to tell you what my, what I'm worried about. And you tell me what you're worried about. Right. Like I, I'm, I'm worried that this may not get great mileage, but like I want it so much that I'll even, you know, what are you worried about? Oh, right. I'm worried you'll find <laughs> out that it's sitting on the axles. <laughs> Oh, I'm worried that Why, you're but find we're better out that, people. We're better people than that. Yeah, the door sills are 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 full of moldy cocaine. <laughs> I'd, I'd buy that car. Yeah, is that is that costly to fix? I think cocaine. I think even moldy cocaine has some street value <laughs> for somebody. There's always somebody. You probably would have had that at some point. What moldy cocaine? Well, you're at a party and somebody says we're out of the regular cocaine. All we have left is the moldy cocaine. You go, okay. I heard, I heard you have cocaine. I definitely had some drugs that were transported in a gas tank. Oh no! Because they smelled like gas, and they were the only drugs in that town at the time, small mountain town. And everybody knew that it was the really the worst possible thing, but. They were the only drugs available. And so you'd be sitting around, you're drinking beer at somebody's house, and they'd be like, <sighs> at a certain point, they'd pull out the bag, and everybody'd be like, is that the gas stuff? 
<laughs> it smells like a VW bug. And, you know, and you're just like, oh, it's the gas stuff. And it came across the border in a gas tank and it wasn't sealed properly or something. And everybody was fucking getting high on this gas. So, so even though you, the provenance, you know, the provenance is fucked up. You, oh, yeah. you, you know that at, at, it's at least been in a gas tank, yeah. let alone what you can't smell on it. Oh yeah. And half the, half the high is just chlorofluorocarbons from like, it's just like smoking unleaded gas. I used to, I used to feel like I was going to pass out sometimes when I was driving my VW bus. I mean, the, the smell of gas was, was so strong. Every, pretty much every old school VW I've been in, it's, it's like that. Yeah. It's a part of the air cooled engine. It routes the exhaust through the dashboard. It's very clever. Yeah. Well, I feel like this thing, you know, like one of the, one of the unexpected and nice things about the, about the rise of the internet and the, and, and all of the kind of, social mediation is that you and I both like the word is out about us, Hmm. right? Everywhere I go, people already know, uh, they already know where the rust is in my door sills because it's, it's part of my online brand even, Hmm. you know? And when, when the the name of your superhero rust, that's right. When the internet first came up, I don't. I mean, I, we can we can set the wayback machine. It wasn't that long ago, but you know, I remember people telling me like, "Don't post on message boards. You need to keep your privacy and the mystery about you as an artist." And and I was very worried about privacy. We were also worried about privacy. But the reality is that the truth of me is available to anybody that wants to look for it at all. <laughs> you've, and, you've put out a 200-hour Craigslist ad. <laughs> yeah, right. That says, that says <laughs> no flakes. And, and If so, you read the whole thing, you'll probably figure out. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's in all caps. There's no punctuation. I just did a keyword search for Hitler. Um, this, this podcast is for men and manly women, no flakes. <laughs> Don't waste my time. <laughs> Don't waste my time. Um, and 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 that is a that is a tremendous relief in a way now because because it feels like in the aggregate over time the true story of of a of any person who is like pursuing a, a public life the true story is ultimately revealed in just the you you cannot manage your story completely uh, over time in a sort of daily posting and people posting about you you cannot hide the 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 truth and 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 it's not like i ever wanted to i always felt like i'm you know that 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 disclaimer business on a first date with somebody or the first time you meet somebody and you want to sit down and say like here's the thing <laughs> no mind af- games <laughs> here's the thing i'm afraid i'm most afraid you're going to find out about me right and then the person goes oh oh shit you're like yeah i know right i have two huge dicks <laughs> And then we have to navigate, like, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Listen, this is going to come up. Listen, yeah. <laughs> eventually, I don't, want to, I don't want it to be a surprise. And so, but, but now, like, all of that is out there. Right. And, and the presumption is that people, you know, before they sit down with you for the first time, have already 
done at least that first swipe of like, who the fuck is this person? And I think, it, you know, in on that first page of results, it's like all the info is there. You can tell that this guy, this guy, like Merlin Mann is going to be a challenging interview. John Roderick is going to be a difficult uh, boyfriend. <laughs> like this stuff is basically in our Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I no longer feel like privacy issues in, in, in that sense. It's like what it, it's maintaining your privacy about, about certain things is, is like so easy, really. As long as you're not trying to hide the, the essential truth about you. Yeah. Hmm. yeah well, well, you know, when you're a public basket case, I think people really, they cut you a break. That's what I like to think anyway. Well, that's, yeah, that's why we have pursued this, this public bas- basket case persona. One, fun, one funny part of it with the social media <laughs> stuff, though, uh, is that, you know, I think um, a lot of people are looking forward to the day where somebody sees them and goes, oh, you posted that funny thing on Facebook. Or your Instagram photo of some telephone wires was really inspiring to me. And, you know, and, and, and they keep waiting for that. And, and the day that that happens, it's really magical. But then after that, you know, if you're, if your Instagram photos of telephone wires inspire enough people, eventually you're, you're like Instagram telephone wire guy. Right. Like, and that story's not yours anymore. That's, that's the thing is like, whatever it is, whether you intended it to be that way or not, like Screech probably didn't think he was going to be Screech <laughs> when he went to the screen test. He just, he just showed up for a gig. Oh, poor Screech. Poor Screech. I found some photos of Mason Reese. Yeah. He's a handsome kid. <laughs> he's a club owner. <laughs> you should see if you can get a, get a, <laughs> get a gig at his place. Borg is smart. <laughs> I uh, I had an interesting experience the other day. Uh, I'm doing a lot of media recently, and uh, a, a uh, like a DJ posted a link to an interview that I did on one on his podcast. Um, this uh, DJ Marco Collins, who was a famous sort oh of yeah, sit- the Marco Collins sessions. That's right, the Marco Collins. He was a big big proponent of grunge and indie, and he he. Posted- I just I know him from that Silkworm record. Was he was he a local DJ? Yeah, he was he was like the alternative rock dj before there wasn't such a thing as indie rock like a rodney on the rocks kind of career maker john peel kind of character he was the one who discovered and made the career of harvey danger wow uh and he used to live across the hall from me we have a long uh, history together but he he uh, he had me on a podcast he does and he posted a link to it on his facebook page which he connected to me and so i went followed the link to where it was posted on his site and there were a series of comments underneath it and as i'm reading the comments i realized that some of the comments are hidden from me oh this is like a facebook thing right well it's like some stuff you just can't see on facebook or i can only imagine that it's because the people who Th- those people have blocked me. I don't or, know. Or they're not block. like a friend of a friend or something. Like, isn't there some stuff where you can you can see it in certain places in certain situations? But but you you think you think it's like they willfully like blocked you from seeing things that they do. Well, the the reason I know that they're there is that that the that you know five or six comments down, there's a comment from a guy who's like, oh, and I suppose you've ever done anything as brilliant as when I pretend to fall in your life, Mister Guy. Ooh, and I was like, but that got you curious. I was like, hmm, well, who's that in response to? And I read the five things before that were like, you know, first, 
or whatever. Uh, and I'm like, this is, he's, who is he talking to? And then three or four comments down, he's like, well, uh, in my experience, John Roderick has never been anything but the nicest guy. And he let my band open for him once in San Diego and they were super cool to us. <laughs> you want to see what people are, are defending you against. Yeah. And, I, and I'm like, who, who is he arguing with? And then further down, another person chimes in who is like, who is obviously responding to a second person and saying like, I happen to think that, that, that John Roderick is like a prince and a sweetheart. And I'm like, who are you arguing with and what are they saying? <laughs> and I, you know, I, I realized just from looking at the reflected argument that through the course of this, you know, however many long comments, I, you could tell that, the, that whoever it was that had an axe to grind was... Grinding a personal axe. They weren't saying like I hate his band. They were they were talking They were saying John Roderick's an asshole. They were yeah, and or, they, or and, similar. And it was coming from a place where they were probably somebody that I once punched in the nose. <laughs> like there there is this small archipelago of noses that I have punched in the last twenty years who are probably also on Facebook and who are, they continued to live after I punched them in the nose. They did not, they did not go and and be gone. They are, they are alive people in the world who I have forgotten completely, but for whom that punch in the nose was a singular event that they have not let go of. They are still, they, they remember me and I still, and the, and the idea that I am out there, doing well having fun still infuriates but you could tell you could tell by the tenor of the people defending me that were visible to me that that the complaints against me were didn't make sense to anyone in the context of this post this podcast they, yeah it was you know, it was some kind of a little like just a, a dive bomb yeah people were like what's your problem and but 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 what was curious to me was that there were at least two people on this on this Facebook thread that that were like grinding pretty serious axes and and you know it caused me to reflect like what is the what's the worst thing I did to somebody that I have forgotten completely about but that they are probably will nurse to their grave that sounds like the basis for a game show that would run for probably four or five seasons. <laughs> It's kind of like it's kind of like this is your life meets what's my line. It's like you're the one who's blindfolded, and somebody comes in. You have to, with a minimum of information, try to remember what you did to them. Yeah, right. They're like, they're still so mad. You can just hear the seething in their voice, and you're like, what? What did I do? What? You know? And it turns out like, oh, oh, Rachel was your ex girlfriend. Oh, I only hung out with her for a couple of weeks. And the person's like, yeah, I broke up with her eight hours beforehand and she like hooked up with you that night and I will, I'll hate you forever. Rachel. It's like, oh, I never even met you, dude. I, she didn't say anything about it. I was just like, I met her at a show, you know, hey, we. Do you wish you had equal time? No, I mean, that's the thing. If I cared, I think I could probably game the 
Facebook system in you can such get a, one of it, your non-blocked friends to go and look at it, right? Yeah, and I'm sure having now talked about it, you know, somebody from the Internet Army will figure, will find out what it Ugh. was. But, but, but no, ultimately I don't care because ultimately every one of us has left probably enough of a trail of hurt. It's just that, it's just that in this in this case, because the because the forum where it was happening was on this rock and roll DJ's Facebook page, it was it, it kind of opened the door to all these people out in the world who maybe still are mad at me about my punk rock article, or maybe we worked together at the at a pizza parlor twenty years ago, and you know so, like all that weird stuff from from when you're 20 where it's like oh was that a drug deal gone wrong where the stakes were $15 and you are still convinced right that 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 I am like a evil person because like you didn't get your $15 worth of weed that time i mean you can't i can't carry that forward because i know i mean when i think about what's the worst thing i ever did i always come to this blank space where it's like, well, probably the worst thing I did was some mostly inadvertent act of discourtesy or, you know, like inconsiderateness that where I was oblivious and the other person was left embarrassed standing there. But I mean, if that's the worst thing you ever did to somebody, I think it's like, I can live with it. You know, I never... I never looked somebody in the eye and said, I will love you forever. Well, the, the thing about what you're describing though, and I, I've, you know, I've, I don't know, I guess I've been in situations like that is, is, you know, 25, 30 years ago, that would have been what we would just simply call talking behind someone's back where somebody tosses out something that they heard or believe or reckon about somebody. <laughs> And then somebody else comes back with what they've heard or believe or reckon. And, you know, that could be about John Davidson. Like, who knows? Like, you're right. going to sit there and have a conversation about whether a football player is gay. You could have a conversation about whether Rod Stewart drank semen. Uh, whatever Why it is. Why would he do it? I still wonder. So, Rod Stewart, at some point in the early 80s, probably heard that there's this urban myth about him and Jism. But like, but he never had to go. <laughs> yeah, he was knee deep in Rachel Hunter at the time, and he didn't. Sure, he didn't but you know, it. you got to stay hydrated. But at some point, he probably you know came across that. It's just excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. But the um, <laughs> but 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 it's just that today it's happening right in front of you, yeah. and in your case, you can't even see part of the reckoning. Yeah. That, we'll that, that's the crazy time. part, though, though, is that, you know, it's, it's, it is the part about that's kind of funny is it sounds like some of those people know you a little bit, but it's interesting to watch people fight an extremely abstract, uh, fight, uh, via proxy and yeah. via, um, reckoning. Well, cause that's what it, a lot of the, well, I heard John's really nice. Well, I heard one time, John, you know, yeah. it's true of everybody. Anybody who's ever seen something like that, it really, it, it feels like you're dead at your own funeral or something. You're like, what are you people talking about? This is weird. Yeah. Well, and, and what you say about this talking behind people's back, like, <clears throat> I've struggled with that my whole adult life because there is absolutely a segment of of the world, the segment of the world that we both grew up in, definitely a big part of the culture in Alaska, but it's part of rock and roll culture, it's part of Southern culture, is this idea that you 
don't talk shit about people. And it's not, it, it's not classy. It's not classy, but it, but, but taken to a, but, but taken to like an old West extreme, it, you know, it becomes, uh, I mean, what I have always considered it to be like a very strange rule when applied to situations where like, well, somebody did something bad and, uh, to not mention it is a kind of a gross oversight. You're talking about amongst people you know. I mean, discussing someone that you personally know, like, oh, this person cheated on that person. This person right, I the, know cheated on this other person. Idea, I know. Yes, the whole idea of like of because because I've always admired that that kind of image of a man who is incredibly reticent who keeps quiet and doesn't let, you know, doesn't let on what he's thinking, makes no, makes no verbal judgment, never lets you in like that, that, that Clint Eastwood squinty eyed sort of Appalachian quietude that is in such contrast to my like verbal processing, my, uh, like sort of exuberant, um, like the, the, the kind of exponential way that I talk and think. And so uh, that, that culture of difference, I've always, I've always wished that I could be a little bit more quiet and swaggering instead of so, um, instead of so verbal and, and it is it's it's the most that different the, the 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 tip of the blade of that difference is always in exchanges i have in the music scene with punk rockers or rock and rollers like the tough tough kids who make a point to who who just don't who don't talk but are also very protective of being talked about you know they're they're hyper worried about being talked about and like for me D disparagingly at all really and, you know, yeah and for me for the for the last 20 years like if somebody was talking about me i had a secret pride a secret joy i i remember a girl a girl came up to me in a bar one time and she said there's a there's something really interesting written about you on the women's room wall. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" She said, mm, "I'm not going to tell you." And all of a sudden I'm sitting in this crowded rock bar looking around and thinking every woman in this bar has read this because you know because it came out over time like other people would say like <laughs> I read that thing about you on the crocodile bathroom wall. And I was like, what does it say? Nobody would, nobody would tell me it was fun. And, and over time I was like, I'm not going to go in there and look at it. I love that. There's something written about me on the bathroom wall that everybody thinks is like, I would say, is it mean? Is it unflattering? And they would <laughs> say, no, not unflattering, 
<laughs> one of one of John's two giant dicks is crooked. Yeah, exactly. Like one of John's two giant dicks really satisfied me forever, but the other one was <laughs> was too into itself. Was crooked. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get it to work. And so, but the but the knowledge that that was on the bathroom wall. What, whatever anxiety I felt about it, as soon as I understood that it wasn't, it wasn't saying like uh, John Roderick gave me tooth decay, or John Roderick was mean to my lady parts. Like from that point on, I was like, "Hooray! There's something written about me on a bathroom wall somewhere." Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna write about that in my journal. And it was a, it was, it was something that I took pride in. But there are, I know for a fact. Most of my rock and roll peers would be seriously bothered, or not most, but let's say half of the people I know would be seriously bothered that that was in there and they would want to erase it immediately. You know, they would not want to be singled out in that way, called out publicly. And I, I had this long, long standing dispute with a local producer who came up to me drunk at a built-to-spill show one time, and he said, <laughs> I hear you're talking shit about me. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I just heard that you were talking shit about me. And I said, you mean that we had a recording session together that went really badly because you were a snob? And he said, I'm not going to tell you who said it, but don't talk shit about me. Hmm. And I said, I don't think it's talking shit about you when I relate to another musician what my experience of working with you was like. And he said, quit talking shit about me. Like, and it was a drunk exchange. But then every time I saw him for the next two and a half years, he would most of the time be drunk with his fists kind of clenched at his sides swaying back and forth trying to figure out whether he was going to punch me or not trying to figure out if he could if he could punch me basically was what Jeez. he was trying to trying to suss out and he that's deranged time, well it's you know just i mean it's basically what's happening in every bar south of the mason dixon line at all times but he's standing there you know you talking shit about me. And I'm like, really? Like five years ago now? Is that what, is that what, we're, is that what we're talking about now? And each time he was just trying to figure out if he could punch me and he, ne- he, never, he never could. And it, but it, but, but it, it kept hammering home this point of like talking shit, talking shit. What, what does that represent to people? Because I have never ever, not only have I never said to somebody, stop talking shit about me, but I have never felt that. You know, when, when somebody says, I heard from, I heard from somebody who will remain nameless that you blah, 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 blah. Like, I, I always feel like, well, either it's true, in which case I deserve to have that reported about me, or it's false, in which case who cares? Like, it's false. This person is saying something false about me. And that's anybody who believes it is not a friend of mine. And I don't care like outside of like my friends, I don't care what a bunch of dinglings think. You could say it. I'm, people are, I'm sure tell lies about us all. So I never understood like, what is talking shit? Is it saying something true about you that you don't want people to know? In which case 
that's your problem. Or is it saying something false about you? In which case, who cares? They're, it's just people are lying about you. I, I guess. I mean, I, when you say talking shit, I mean, I would take that to mean that you someone is um, deliberately undermining somebody. Uh, trying to incite some kind of a, a whisper campaign where enough people know about something. Or it could just be you're just shooting the shit. And you say, oh, well, you know, this guy was real drunk in the studio or something like that. But it, it feels like it feels like that is that is hum, that is humanity or that is the that is one of the foundational elements of civilization. You get I mean, I'm in a I'm in this preschool with my daughter. What the hell do these moms stand around talking about? After a certain, uh, after you're after you're done talking about what dumb little idiots and shitty roommates your kids are, uh, they just start talking about the other moms. And yes, it's insidious. Yes, it's. They yes, mostly it's, talk about things that have disappointed them. In my experience, that's the common. That's the, that's a common parent topic. Is is what's disappointing. Disappointing about. Oh, you know, just about about just something that didn't go their way. It could be, and it could be something uh, germane, like uh, talking to a teacher. It could be something with a cleaning person. Uh, it could be, I don't know, that the yoga studio changed the recipe for their lattes. I don't know, but I mean, you know, it's. I think there's the, the I've heard other people say this, but the one the one topic that, that almost every American can talk to someone else about is bad customer service. I think we're always willing to bitch about how we feel like we've been treated by other people. That's pretty much what almost every conversation eventually comes down to. Well, and I guess that is the definition of talking shit, right? Maybe talking yeah. about the bad customer service you got from a friend or a coworker or so, the, the a talking person shit that part is that it's kind of that it, that you're being malicious. In saying those things, it, you know, we all have opinions that we, we have, we may have opinions, maybe strong opinions, maybe controversial opinions, some of which we keep to ourselves and some of which we don't. I think the talking shit component is that you're out there like deliberately trying to like undermine me with friends and strangers by saying something that I, that person probably feels is not true, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, it's a, it I'm just, a, I don't I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think that's what most people mean is like, you're saying untrue things about me behind my back and trying to make me look bad. And I, I guess I feel like that is, that is a that is pretty rare. Like, who, what type of person goes out and intentionally says something untrue to make another person look bad? It seems like that ha- that would have to be a lot rarer an occurrence than people saying something that they kind of know is true about a person. That they, oh, the, that they, ha- the they deliberately in, in, in like in dishonest, inaccurate part. That's the part you think is rare. Well, intentionally bad things to say about people without having to make them up. Yeah. Like this local producer, he felt like I was talking shit about him because some musician that came to work with him said, just wait till now. I I talked to John Roderick and he said that you were a snob about the the music that you made together. And it's like, well, uh, that isn't talking shit. That is like a Yelp review. That is, um, or maybe Yelp reviews are talking shit, but like, how how else do we know who to work with and who to avoid right, right if you don't consult your other friends who have worked with people and they give you an honest and and i think his expectation and the expectation in in this community would be that i would say you know it's the it's that whole business of of uh recommendation letters right where the recommendation letter is like they performed their duties and it's oh, like, like damning with faint praise. <laughs> yeah, like that's not really much of a recommendation. And the expectation that that some musician would say, "How was it working with Dude X?" And I would say, 
it was sufficient. I mean, you know, maybe that's that seems like just as much shit talking as just saying straight out like the guy was not very good. I read, a, I read a story the other day about uh, Jack Lemmon. Uh, actually, I think it was on his Wikipedia page. But the story goes that you know Jack Lemmon, as much as he was like a cursing guy and stuff like that, but he, he was a very, very kind person who always made time for other people. He mentored uh, Kevin Spacey. He just it just sounds like he was just a really splendid guy. But he was pretty famous apparently in the industry for never saying a bad word about anybody. And you can read this for yourself. But the story goes that oh. Burt Reynolds approached him about working with this one director. And uh, Jack Lemmon was like, oh, you know, he's okay. He's okay. <laughs> Burt Reynolds went and worked with him. And he came back and was like, what, the, what were you talking about? That guy <laughs> That guy's like the biggest asshole I've ever met in my life. It's like the worst gig I've ever had. He goes, well, yeah, I can see how you say that. You know, so in, in a way, it's you might kind of also be saying, well, like that, like a, like an, like a um, incomplete, let's say, recommendation letter, quote unquote, you're actually doing a disservice because you're, you're kind of conveying um, – I guess depending on the tone of conversation you're used to, ha- used to having with somebody, you're conveying approval tacitly onto somebody where you probably should have given them more information. Well, like, yeah. And, 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 like with the producer guy, you wouldn't want to say to somebody who's about to spend money or give points or whatever to say like, oh, this guy's, this guy's, this is a guy, you know, it, you know, it's hard to make music. It's hard to be in the studio. It's even in the best of situations, it's stressful and costly. And, you know, you would want to believe that somebody you go in there with is somebody who's going to be looking out for you, unlike my dentist be looking out for you and making sure that the best product possible is being made uh, in a way that makes you look good, makes the music look look good and where they go out of their way. And and you wouldn't, you didn't have that experience with this person. Kind of. I, f- I feel like, I feel like culturally the, the attitude the don't talk to the cops attitude is like, uh, is against society. It is not, you know, don't talk to the cops is, is this kind of, uh, don't, don't snitch culture. Yeah. Don't snitch. It's this sort of like urban circling the wagons against the, like the perceived enemy of the cops. But in fact, don't talk to the cops. Don't snitch. When that becomes endemic in a culture, what you end up with is a culture that is ruled by the mafia. You know, like the the way the mafia gets power is that it circulates this idea that that snitching to the cops is ineffective and is and is destructive to your, you know, the unity of your of your smaller community. But what you end up then with is no recourse to the cops, no recourse to the culture. You only have recourse to the ever shrinking, like snake eating its tail of this uh of you know the 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 separate the separate law uh the, of the kind of the outsider law and i feel like that is that is absolutely true with this uh, in a different way with this like i never say anything bad about anybody culture because what you end up with is like like Walter Matthau maybe was a very sweet man, but I would not trust his word about a thing. You know, like I, I, you end up, you end up being untrustworthy because if everything's fine, well, clearly everything isn't fine. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I have always felt like my friends are people about whom, uh, I speak candidly and, 
and I expect them to speak candidly about me. And that is the found, that is the foundation of our trust. Not that they keep my secrets and I keep theirs, but rather that what I like about them is that there's no, uh, that, that candor isn't a threat to them. And I, and I, and ultimately I feel like anyone to whom candor is a threat is a distrust, is an untrustworthy person. But don't you think that's kind of endemic to things like, uh, movies, music, politics? I mean, if you speak outside of a certain kind of code, um, then you get your comeuppance because when you, when you speak, as you say, candidly in certain ways about certain things, especially I think in politics, it has a, ver- a very specific meaning to it. It means you're kind of, you know, taking off the gloves. Well, kind of yeah, thing. but I, but I, I increasingly feel like that is our, that is our duty as people who are, who want the world to be a better place. We cannot keep living in, in this new speak era of no bad news, no bad talk. Yeah, but I mean, but, but, but in politics, though, you know, you have to have that certain level of decorum, uh, you know, in order to keep working together, even when you disagree with each other. And but, you know, you'd never want to get it to the point where, like, look what happened with the, uh, you know, with the, uh, the, the sequester or whatever it was called, you know, where, where it was getting kind of uglier and uglier and more and more at this. It was it was. You know, you, you get beyond that kind of surface level of like, we disagree on these things. This person's wrong. You get to down to this person's bad. But then pretty soon, like when you really strip it all away, you start to get to the basics of what real bare, um, bare knuckle politics is, which is that we're all, you know, we're all part of the same hypocrisy, Mike, or whatever the line is, you yeah. know, that, that we're all, that we're all in this game where we, where we, learn to circle our wagons around the the one who's growing in power and to marginalize the one who's falling out of power and all that kind of, I mean isn't that isn't that part of politics it's it's, well, it's but but it's the ugliness of politics I mean I feel like the I feel like my main complaint about the Obama administration is that he never takes the gloves off I wish that Obama had been had had spoken truth to power at the beginning of his administration. Their their decision to not prosecute the Bush administration for war crimes, to not ever speak ill of the Bush administration, which was a criminal enterprise. But in order, you know, in order to preserve the republic, he he entered office with this, you know, basically like Ford pardoning Nixon, this blanket pardon of of Ten or eight years of of total insanity, and they never revisit it. And and the Obama administration never says like the problems that we're having today are a direct result of these these maniacs from you know from eight years ago. Mm-hmm. They just it's just like all happy talk. And I and I don't believe in it because I and mean, this is the this is the problem with monitoring language instead of ideas. You know, at a certain point, we we. Uh, as a culture, we said, we no longer use the word nigger. And then it was like, we no longer use the word Negro. And then we no longer use the word black. But racism survived. And people like David Duke learned to, to use the word urban. And all of his followers knew that urban meant black. And in most cases, all, all of his followers knew that urban meant nigger. But the, but so the, so the, the work that we did to to expunge the language of its ugliness had very little effect on expunging the 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 rotten core of 
all it did was was mask it under seven layers of euphemism. And I, I am I am absolutely a proponent of cutting through euphemistic language when talking about I, I, I don't think I do not think and this is the this is the thing that this is Bellinghamming at its core. The idea that civic discourse, that civility is the thing that preserves our comfort and our way of life and that if we all step aside to let one another go through the door first that that is what constitutes civilization and in fact it's just it's just ever deadening layers of politeness that mask our you know that mask this this like growing animal hatred we have for one another mm-hmm. i wish there was more more honesty like that when clinton was when clinton was was pilloried for his blowjob in the oval office or whatever and he's out there euphemizing left and right and barefaced lying and revealing himself revealing himself to be a you know a, a duplicitous and and an obfuscator and all this like you watched his character just kind of come apart through that whole experience when I, I still cannot understand why he didn't sit in his chair and say, none of your business. Next question. Like ultimately it was, it was none of anyone's business. It did not affect the, the, the execution of his office. None of it had anything to do with his effectiveness as president. And it was not anybody's business. And he, of all people, had the power at that moment to say, I, I will not answer this line of questioning. It is irrelevant to the, to the conduct of this office. And, and any argument like that his character was on trial, his, your, your, people's character, like that is what elections are for. You judge a person on their character and then you elect them and then th- you're no longer, they're no longer running. You know, their character is no longer the question and so i feel like i mean my mayoral candidate yesterday lost his election the other guy won and in his like the 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 day the basically the day of the election i got an email appointing me to a commission and I am now a commissioner. Hmm? The the city arts and film and music commission. I am now on that commission. Wow. It's a three or four year appointment. Wow, congratulations, man. And you may now call me the commish. <laughs> Try and stop me. <laughs> and this commission meets every month in the city hall in a hearing room which is open to the public and i think maybe our commission meetings are broadcast on the public access channel even (laughs) and like citizens can come in and stand at a microphone and comment and we will conduct some business of the city and like this is the this is and this is a commit it is a commission i have accepted 
and I, I can't understand politically, like, is this, is this one of those things where like the president pardons 50 people on his last day in office? I don't oh. understand. I don't understand why I was appointed to this like four year position. It's Thanksgiving. You know, it's like the time of year when you save one turkey from the table. <laughs> but anyway, now I am I am an officially appointed Commissioner member. Roderick. That Commissioner sounds Rod- like it sounds like you get a double-breasted uh, blazer for that. But I, it's going to be very interesting to me sitting on this commission which is now in the public record and in the public sphere in a in a in a small way. And I think an, an ineffectual way or I can't imagine that this commission it, I don't believe I am granted the power to tax. I do get a parking pass for City Hall. Whoa, sweet. Right? So you can probably use the bathrooms, too. I can use the bathrooms at City Hall. I, I might and they, even, can't, they can't throw you out. I might, have a, I might even get a laminated card that says commissioner. <laughs> but it's going to be very curious to see like how, I, how this tiny little toe in the water of like public life, how it plays out for me. Because I, you know, I don't think there's anything at stake, but I'm going to be sitting up on a dais while some guy, while some guy with dander on his fleece vest stands there and yells at me about how, um, how they closed down his street to film an episode of Mad About You. Uh, that's not still a show, is it? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, listen, guy. You don't, you don't Are we think still I got, talking about this? You don't think I got better things to think about? I'm trying to get zip lines put in in this whole city. Don't waste you're, my time. You're yelling at me. You got how many bags have you got? How many grocery bags have you got there? You got like 14 grocery bags. Get out of here. Yeah, I mean, I know it's early, early goings, early days, but I can't wait to hear the planks in your platform. Well, yeah, now yeah, I, I imagine like- you get a platform. I feel like your your caution the other day where you were like, "Hey, are you sure that you should be talking about this on the on the internet?" On the on the airwaves, you know, I feel like I I, I have to keep. I, first of all, there's nobody listening to this program that's going to out us, hmm. right? It's all it's they might a, start it's talking a, shit. It's a total cult audience now. Everybody is like, they're all they're all moving the deck chairs around the Titanic. Who's gonna <laughs> Who's gonna say I I think that I think Merlin and John are dangerous and must be stopped. <laughs> I don't think there's any. I mean, it's it, only some random person that swings in and listens to one episode. You could says, take them out, no problem. Says these people are maniacs. That's right. We'll just. Well, we'll we got a cult. Up. We could we could certainly have uh, have them circle the wagons around that person. You know, they're going to come out of their apartment, and in their hallway, there's just going to be super train stickers. <laughs> that every, rubber girl on every flat surface, and they're going to be like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> I had no idea who I was messing with. What's the name of the actual uh, commission? The Seattle Film and Music Commission. Wow. So presumably, like some, like Michael Bay is going to come and and may try and make a dinosaur movie in Seattle at some point, <laughs> and I'm going to have to approve. I'm going to have to be one of the commissioners who approves or denies his permits to, uh, you know, to block off the streets. I, I just want to take a moment to review your brachiosaurus easement. <laughs> I'm just here that uh, you uh, made Transformers, <laughs> and I have to say that was a shitty movie. <laughs> can, I, can I have your personal assurance that w- w- we're not going to be facing a situation where we see Seattle looking like it's going to be beaten up by robots that might also be trucks? <laughs> I've got one pair of glasses down on the end of my nose. Point of one information. Of- <laughs> Why is Commissioner Roderick talking like that? <laughs> one pair of glasses on a gold chain. <laughs> one pair of glasses on top of my head. 
Oh, oh, I beg your pardon, sir. I need to get some white three-piece suits made. You do, you do, and I'd like to see you have like a cane with like like a tip on it that you could tap on the table when you're getting restless. <laughs> Look at me, I'm the big actor. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Are we still talking about this? <laughs> All right.